Well, good morning. Good to be back in Carleton this week. I know that uh, Brad did a great job last week uh, teaching, and um, and so want to make sure that that I thank him for that. And and you know the rest of the team. Here's the deal. We, you know, if we're gone a week, everything goes off, you know, without a hitch because the people here that serve and set up and tear down are just amazing. So, you know, we can be gone at any time and we don't have to worry about it, you know, and that's such a great feeling. Uh, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, hey, we have a lot to cover today, so we're just going to get going, okay? I have a lot on here and I don't know if we're going to get through it all, but I'm going to try, okay? I'm going to try. So we're in great lives from God's word, amen, right? We're going through this. We have, I think, uh, like four more weeks of this after today. Uh, we're going to go, I think, through the first or second week of August uh, with this series that we've been going through since, I think, February, like the beginning of February or something. So it's, uh, it's kind of cool that we've been walking through this for quite some time. Uh, last week, uh, we talked about Elijah, our first week in Elijah, and this is our uh, week number two. Last week, we talked about the history of of Israel, uh, albeit a very high flyover of, of it all, you know, is was, uh, was a little bit, uh, but we covered as much as we could and uh, the kings leading up to Elijah entering the scene, right? Him coming on the scene. And so uh, once again, um, we, don't, we don't have uh, slides except for this, so if you have a Bible, please get it out or get your phone out and pull it up, or there's Bibles that we put out on the chairs. You can grab one of those and follow along too as we, uh, in the parts that we're going to be reading. And uh, so um, there was a united kingdom in Israel, right? We talked about that last week. Uh, united kingdom under three kings, Saul, David, Solomon. And then there was a divided kingdom, correct, uh, with the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, 19 kings in the northern kingdom, and remember how many of them did what was right in God's sight? Zero, all right? And then the southern kingdom of Judah, 17 kings, and of those, eight did what was right in God's sight, and the rest did not. Whenever a nation falls into idolatry and sin, God sends prophets to be a herald to call them back, right? To call the leaders back and the people back, uh, because often uh, as the leader goes, the country goes, the nation goes, the people go, whatever it is, uh, as the leader goes, usually the people follow that, uh, that very thing. So, Israel had gotten a bit off track, and God was showing himself strong against the pagan god, Baal, who entered the nation uh, via King Ahab's uh, marriage to Jezebel. You remember that? Jezebel's father was the king of the uh, Sidonian area or the Phoenician area, which included Sidon and Tyre and those towns that were up just above the northern kingdom. And his name, does, you, does anybody know what his name was, Jezebel's father's name? Eth Baal was his name. Eth Baal. Mitch knows. I preached it last week in, in Newburgh. So uh, he, it was Eth Baal, which means with Baal. So here is Jezebel's father, Eth Baal, who has his name means I'm with this guy, right? I'm with this false god. So, uh, so that's what his name actually means. 
Baal is the false god of the Phoenicians, and I know that Brad talked about this last week, and so did I, that supposedly was the god of, you know, rain and weather and crops and fertility and all of that uh, for the people in the land of Phoenicia. God is not pleased with the nation of Israel, uh, and so he sends Elijah to stand in the gap for him and show who the true God is, Jehovah, not Baal, right? Now, he's not happy with them because they've been uh, transformed into uh, worshiping Baal in all these different areas, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, brought in by Jezebel, and so he's going to send somebody to say something to them about it and call them back. So we pick up here this week as Elijah confronts Ahab and then immediately leaves by the word of the Lord to go to a brook called Kareth. Now, here's the deal. Again, we can't cover this very well at all. So it is just a like overview of this all. In fact, today we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of stuff and it's going to be a pretty high flyover. So you're going to have to do some homework again, all right? You're going to have to get your Bible out this week, go back, read through it, maybe listen to this message again uh, on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever uh, you use. But, um, but you're going to have to do that and kind of uh, see what the Lord might speak to you uh, even further in depth as you read through it and find out. So he goes to this brook called Kareth, and, uh, and so... You know, it's, uh, he, well, first he confronts, he comes and he confronts Ahab in chapter 17 of 1 Kings. He tells him in this uh, portion that there will be no rain or dew for three years, extending uh, what was already had been a dry and hot summer uh, in that region because it's a dry, hot place in the summer. And so, uh, he was saying, there's going to be three more years of this drought, okay? So chapter 17, verse 1 is where you find that. Now, why this? Why no rain? Why it, what is that pointing to? And we talked a little bit about it last week. It's God coming directly against Baal, who was, you know, supposedly the God of rain, crops, and fertility, and all those things, the God who Jezebel worshipped and brought into the nation of Israel. And so, uh, so that's why he directly came in and, and spoke about rain and, and cutting it off for three years, because God said, go tell them this, and uh, it was God's doing, right? So from there, Elijah follows the leading of God and heads to Kareth. What we're going to see in, in chapters 17 and 18, Elijah obeys two commandments from the Lord. The first commandment is, go hide yourself. Basically, he, God is saying to uh, Elijah, go hide yourself. So there's going to be this private time that the Lord uh, ministers and invests in Elijah and cares for him in a time of solitude. Now, how many of the people that we've talked about, these lives in Scripture, had to go through a time of solitude? Like, n- nearly every one of them. We probably could have talked about that for every person though that would have been a little redundant, I think. So we haven't. But here, Elijah, a big part of this story, his story, is going and um, being ministered to in solitude. The second thing that God is, is basically saying to him then is, go show yourself, which is a public time of ministry after being cared for privately by the Lord and learning and growing and being refined in solitude. So we're going to see both of those things. 1 Kings 17, 1 through 4. I'm going to go ahead and read that and we'll talk just for a minute here. 
Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years. And we know from some translations, it says three years, uh, until I give the word. And then the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River, drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you. For I have commanded them to bring you food. Elijah is instructed to go down to this brook and wait for the food to be delivered uh, through the ravens, you know. And so it's a very interesting thing, probably more of an exception uh, uh, than the rule, <laughs> you know. I don't know about you, but I've never been instructed to go down by the river and wait for ravens to bring me food. Anybody else in here? No. So it's, it's you know, probably an exception rather than the rule, obviously. Uh, so he goes down there and he's probably wondering, you know, what his next step would be from here, you know, are they really going to bring me food, whatever he might be thinking, you know, uh, but it might make you stop and wonder if you heard God right, <laughs> okay, like, uh, wait a minute, run that by me again, let me clean out my earwax, you know, let me see, uh, but end of the day, uh, this is what God calls him to do is to go down by this brook. Verses five through seven. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, and he camped beside Kareth Brook, east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So he went and he camped by the brook and actually received uh, morning and evening from the ravens that lived in that area, and they brought that to him. Uh, and, and so it helps remind me that even when something seems like a step backwards, um, God is using it as a time to prepare me for what is forward. And maybe you've been through something similar, that it seems like a step backward, right? And you're like, God, am I hearing you right? And yet still, He uses it, and, uh, and ultimately it works out for whatever is ahead uh, that He has for us. And uh, that happens actually quite frequently in life. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you not experienced it as much, but I have and probably you too. Uh, even when God's leading seems unappealing, anybody ever hear from God something that was unappealing to you, right? Like, really? It's always best if we listen to Him and we surrender our will to His will and we obey so Elijah, he didn't have excess of anything while he was here, right? It wasn't like, he's like, hey, they're going to bring you a bunch of food. You're just going to get stuffed every breakfast and every dinner and all this stuff. It's just like, hey, go down here and they're going to bring you what you need, right? He didn't necessarily have excess, but he had all that he needed by the brook. And, uh, and in the end, isn't that what we really only need as his children is what we need, right? It reminds me uh, of, you know, the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, uh, as Jesus uh, taught to pray, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Like, w we shouldn't be worried about next week's bread or whatever, but hey, this is where it's coming from. You know, today I have what I need, and this is kind of the life of the believer. We shouldn't be concerned and worried about excess of everything. That's kind of more of a worldly view of everything. Uh, but, uh, but if we have what we need, that's what's the most important. A couple other things I want to touch on here, okay? 
we see that God withdrew rain from Israel as a punishment for their total commitment to Baal rather than following him. So they followed idolatry with Baal over relationship with Jehovah. That was their trade-off. Not relationship with Jehovah and following him, but rather following idolatry with Baal. And, and so God's removed the rain, and it was a punishment uh, for that, for the nation. Um, also, the second thing that we see is that God withdrew Elijah's ministry from the nation as another form of punishment, leaving them to their own wickedness and sin. Maybe you've never thought about that in this story. But he removes Elijah from, and, and Elijah's ministry from the northern kingdom of Israel, which left them to themselves. It left them to their own sin, their own desires, their own wickedness, right? So there's no voice any longer speaking into the nation to call them back, but he releases them to themselves for the next uh, three years, right? A little over three years even. Now, I got to thinking about this. Does God release us to our own desires and sin if that's what we pursue? Now, if you look in Romans chapter 1, there is a point. It seems as you read in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to go ahead and read through it here in a second, uh, that there seems to be this point where God will allow uh, the unrepentant to have their way in the sin that they so eagerly embrace and desire and run after. Romans chapter 1 and 2, Paul writes and he talks about, uh, in, in this translation, they use the word abandoned, but in other translations, they use the word uh, turns them over to. So I, I like the, the ESV and some others that say God turns them over to. Um, but, uh, but God, it, you know, Romans 1 and 2 talk about God turning them over to those who turn away from God's design, who turn uh, away and, and don't acknowledge Him, and ultimately turn them over to unnatural sexual desires and from other sinful ways of living, uh, and not only living them, but then also encouraging others to do the same all of which are the same things that we see in our world today. Anybody ever see the news? Or I, I've actually stopped watching the news, but, uh, but I am on Twitter, and sadly, I see things on Twitter, and it makes me, you know, so I, I actually, I'm trying to stay away from Twitter and everything else, you know, because I don't want to have a jaded view. You know, truthfully, I don't want to have a jaded view of things, and so I want to make sure that we're gospel uh, centric and we're not just mad at something because it's politicized or it's polarized everybody and this and that and the other. So uh, we, we have to stay to the Bible, right? That's where we, uh, our foundation, where we move from. And so uh, maybe you've seen around, you've looked around and you've seen that these things happen in our world today. Uh, the Bible doesn't just tell us what happened in one instance it actually tells us what always happens in every instance because people follow their own desires uh, who turn away from God, right? And so what we see in Scripture is people turn from God, they reject God, they say no to God, and they follow their own way, they follow their own desires, their own sin, 
everything, their own wickedness, and ultimately, that's what we see time and time and time again. It's like a giant circle, right? So we shouldn't be surprised that these same things happen in our world today because people are people are people are people, right? And so if you reject God, you're going to follow your own ways, and there's going to be consequences that come from those things. So we're going to read Romans 1, 16 through 32 uh, from Scriptures, and we'll talk about it here in a second. All right, so Paul writes to the Roman uh, believers, and he says, listen, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. Amen. As the Scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. It is by faith. All right, but God shows his anger. This section talks about God's anger at sin. But God shows his anger from heaven against sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people, were seen, people uh, have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him. And what that means is they knew of Him. They knew about Him, but they didn't have relationship with Him. They, didn't, they weren't uh, with Him. So, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, Claiming to be wise, they uh, instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And so God abandoned them. That's what this translation says. But I like the turn them over to better. Okay? So God turned them over uh, to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result... They did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. This is why God turned them over to their shameful desires. And even women turned against the natural way of having sex and instead indulged in sex with, uh, with each other. And men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of the sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, He turned them over uh, to their foolish thinking and let them do things they should not be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse, I love that, they refuse to understand, uh, they break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway, and worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Now, let's talk about that for a minute. Rome was a place filled with every sinful practice that could be found. In fact, uh, the Roman Stoic philosopher Seneca, he called Rome a cesspool of iniquity. 
Now, that's really nice to say about your town, right? It's a cesspool of iniquity. And the Roman poet Juvenal referred to Rome as a filthy sewer into which the dregs of the empire flood. This is what they, how they called their own town, right? It brings to mind another famous quote to me as I was thinking about that. This quote, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Does anybody know where that came from? Ben Kenobi, as he and Luke overlooked Moss Eisley uh, Seaport in, uh, in uh, Star Wars, right? But I would say this, Ben Kenobi never visited Washington, D.C., so that might be somewhere that... <laughs> All right, that's a joke, okay. Oh, man. So what we see here is that uh, Paul touches specifically in this, yes, on homosexuality, uh, which was very much a part of the Roman culture just as it is of ours today. Sometimes we think our culture is worse than every other time in history. Let me just tell you, people are people are people are people, right? I don't know if I can say that enough today because that's what always happens. People are people are people. So, you know, Rome uh, was, was uh, you know, it was, a, it was a sad place. There were all kinds of uh, sin abounding in Rome and uh, as as Paul even refers to in verses 29 through 31, uh, which are the things that happen when God is not acknowledged in life and people live for their own desires. And, you know, all those things, it's not just homosexuality, it's not just sexual perversion or sexual sin of any kind, which, frankly, you know, this is what polarizes our culture, but there are all kinds of ways that sexual sin works its way, itself out. So, we, we have to remember that, too, and not only sexual sin, but also in all of these other ways that he talks about, all of this wickedness, sin and greed and hate and envy and murder. How many of us have ever been greedy in our hearts, right? Like we live in a culture that, you know, if you've ever watched the movie Wall Street, Gordon Gecko says, greed is good, right, in that movie. And, well, greed is not good. This is not the message we need to be sending to people, right? This is not good. And so, uh, so, all of these things happened a lot in Rome, beginning with their leader, because as the leader goes, the people go, and their leader was Nero, who I won't even talk about the things that I've read about this guy, because it's so depraved and sick, I won't even talk about these things. Now, you can go read about it, it's online, but I mean, it, he was a twisted dude, okay? So, let's just say that. All right. And then in chapter 2, Paul specifically speaks to the people in the church in Rome and their ways of living being the same as those who were outside of the church. And he says to them in Clint's translation, you better check yourselves, people. You better check yourselves. Because anyone who rejects and turns away from God to follow their own sinful desires should expect God's judgment. And so Romans 12, 1 through 3, say this, uh, or two, Romans 2, 1 through 3, I'm sorry, says, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say that, there are, that they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do the, same, the very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? 
Ouch. Right? So here's the reality. Uh, This is a bigger picture thing, but a person claiming to be a Christian should not indulge in the same things as the world, right? Uh, And then believe that they will not be judged by God for doing the same things. Listen, this is all about mankind's, you know, depravity and decline and ultimately will chase after everything, invent new ways to sin and go after all these things apart from God. When he is rejected, that is what people do. That's what this portion of scripture is saying. So don't get too caught up only on one thing in here. What it's saying is there's a whole list of things, a whole way of living that rejects God that ultimately will bring punishment. Now, I show this as a New Testament example uh, of this same thing that I talked about, about God removing Elijah and his ministry from the nation, right? There seems to be a point where God will allow the unrepentant to have exactly what they want and go after it and indulge in it, even if it leads them to destruction, which, frankly, sin always does, all right? But of course, here's the deal, of course, the hope would always be for the unrepentant to hear the truth, repent of sin, and turn to God. Amen? That's always the hope. God removed Elijah and his ministry, leaving them to themselves. Now, there came a day, as we read about, moving on from there. And there's other things, too. If you remember when, when uh, the Israelites came out of Egypt, they complained and whined and moaned uh, about you know, something to eat. And they wanted meat. Anybody remember this story? They wanted meat. And God said, fine, you want to complain so much, I'll give you so much meat, it'll be coming out your nostrils. Go read about that story, okay? I'm just saying, like, fine, here. Here's all the meat and gorge yourself on it. It's going to be coming out your nostrils. That's what he says, in fact. So, and then another time, you know, when all of the people were afraid to go into, some, into the promised land and, and ultimately God says, fine. This whole generation is going to die off and not go into that, but your son, you, like the next generation will go into that. So there are all kinds of things that we can find in Scripture that God says, okay, what about Saul, the first king? That, it was never God's plan to have Israel have kings, but they wanted it like the other countries. And so he said, okay, here's your guy. He's really tall and strong, but he's not very smart. <laughs> so, you know, so anyway, I could go on and on, but I won't because we'll run out of time. So anyway, there came a day that Elijah, the brook dried up, and God moved him on from there, and he moved him to a place called Zarephath, right? With a Gentile widow is what we find. And the name Zarephath means refining, if you didn't know that. And so that is exactly what God does here with Elijah, is he refines him during this time. And, and frankly, it's not an easy time for him, if you've ever read this. This widow was so poor, she was making her last meal when he shows up, and he says, hey, make me a meal first, would you? <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness. So he says, you know, hey, go ahead, make me a meal first, and, uh, and before you and your son eat, uh, make something for me, right? This is what God leads him to do, and it's like, oh boy. So... Uh, so it must have been pretty refining to say that to this widow and her son, right? Like, okay, I'll do that. But, but God does a miraculous thing, and he provides enough for her to live on and uh, continue living, you know, all of the, the oil and the different things. Uh, and so God does a miraculous thing there. 
And eventually then her son gets sick and dies, and God uses Elijah in, in that time uh, to heal the boy, right, to pray and to earnestly pray over him, and God heals him. And so it's an amazing thing as well. And after everything that had happened there, the widow speaks to Elijah then and declares that she knows him to be a man of God now, right, used by God. Now I know you are a man of God and used by him. So after being trained and tested uh, in private in chapter 18, uh, the Lord tells Elijah, go to Ahab, and now it's time to deliver the message that rain is going to come again, right? Reasserting him back into the public ministry, which time Elijah comes across Obadiah in this story. And he was a follower of the Lord, Obadiah was, but served Ahab as an overseer of the palace, and he kept quiet about his faith because Ahab would not have liked that, right? So it's a little bit of a contrast here in living. And when you read this part, you could look at it different ways and different commentators and different people do, you know, was it right for Obadiah to be quiet about his faith? Should he have been more vocal about his faith? You know, here's Elijah, you know, standing up and, and standing in the gap and, and going to take whatever comes his way. But Obadiah is over here quietly, you know, but Ultimately, God used also Obadiah to hide a hundred priests from being killed from Ahab and Jezebel. And so, you know, make of that what you, what you want to on it. You can go and you can read about it. But, you know, there is a contrast, though, in living between Elijah and Obadiah, certainly in that Elijah is very public, Obadiah is not. Which is right? Well, <laughs> you know, you be the judge of that because God used them both in this. So when Elijah... Uh, wanted to tell, you know, wanted Obadiah to go tell Ahab that he was coming, Obadiah didn't want to because he thought Ahab would kill him. And, uh, and so ultimately then he says, okay, I'll go. And, uh, and he, so he goes and he tells him that. Now, upon seeing uh, Elijah, Ahab, and I, I, know that, I know that Brad talked about this last week, upon seeing uh, Elijah, Ahab says, is it really you, you troubler of Israel? Right? He walks up, he's like, oh, you troublemaker, you know. But Elijah doesn't miss a beat. And in 1 Kings 18, uh, 18 through 21, uh, 18, 18 through 21, he says, I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who, will, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel, and Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God or Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Now, if you know about this story on Mount Carmel, uh, there's this battle of who is real. Is it Baal or is it God? Is it Jehovah? And the contest is fierce, and we know that the prophets of Baal were jumping around, and they were cutting themselves, and they were chanting and shouting for hours, right? For half the day, it says they were screaming out to Baal to send fire down, right, to, and burn the altar that they had set up. 
but no activity, right? No activity at all. And so Elijah begins to mock them, uh, and he's like, hey, where is your God, you know? Is, is he relieving himself? Is he uh, on vacation? Is he this? Is he that? Uh, and so he begins to jeer them a little bit, uh, and they kept yelling, and, and nothing ever happened. So Elijah says, all right, so put all this stuff on here, the bull, wood, you know, put everything on there. He puts the stones, the 12 stones up, and he douses it with water, and ultimately he says, you know, uh, I mean, like digs a trench around, it fills everything with water. And so it's going to be no mistake that if fire comes down and burns that, it's going to be Jehovah is God, right? Not Baal. And ultimately we know uh, that's what happens. He prays a simple prayer that the timeless God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would prove today that he's the only God of Israel and that people would see that and that they would see that it's God bringing them back to himself. And so fire fell. It burned everything up. It was so hot. It incinerated everything. And the people fell face down and cried out. And they said, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. So, Then the false prophets were all killed uh, because the cause of sin of the nation had to be removed from the nation. We might not, we might look at that and say, well, I don't really like that. But, you know, the cause of the sin of the nation had to be removed. It couldn't remain. It couldn't just stay there. And this is true of us as well. Even in the New Testament, we read that uh, sin must be put to death, right? Uh, You know, the Apostle Paul writes to Colossians, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible, Colossians. And in Colossians 3, 5, he says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Didn't we just talk about that? Now, after the Baal prophets were put to death, Word was given that the rain was about to fall, and ultimately Elijah went back up the mountain. It happened a little bit at a time, but ultimately it did happen. And, uh, and, and so the tendency for us is to think Elijah was this giant, giant, great guy who is just far beyond who we could ever be or what, how God could ever use us, right? And yet James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes in James 5, 16, And 17, 16b, the second part, and 17, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. As, he may, as amazing as Elijah sounds in Scripture and all this stuff, let me just say, God wants to use you in a similar way. It might not be in this exact way, but God can use you too for His purposes and His glory, that He might be seen and worshipped. That He might be seen and worshipped. So what is required for us to be used by God? Well, it's to stand in the gap for him in our day and in our time, to stand and to speak the truths of God's word in our day and our time, to be led by the Holy Spirit in our day and in our time. So, if we will do so, we should be confident that whatever might come, he is in it with us. I think we sang that in one of our songs, in fact. We're in the fire, he's there with us. 
frankly, uh, you know, I love it when God puts things like this together, right? So we should be confident that whatever might come, He's in it, and He's in there with us. And so the main question for us today is, will we stand? And we're going to see that next week as that Elijah, he struggles a little bit, uh, as we all do at times, right? As we all do at times. And we're going to see also that the, uh, he hands the baton of ministry over well to the next man that God will use boldly for his purposes. But that is going to be for next week, all right? We pray with me. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for speaking through us. Uh, to us through your word at all times. God, we can read uh, the scripture and we can know what you are saying and we can know what you want to do, God. We are so grateful for that. We pray that as we open your word, um, you know, even throughout this coming week, God, that by your, your Holy Spirit in us, you will speak truths to us and lead us in, into really a deeper knowledge of these things that we might know how to live it out uh, more and more and more. It's not just about knowledge, but God, that knowledge leads us to uh, living a life that is, uh, that is right and true and is the one that you want us to live. And so, God, we are so thankful. God, this week, go with us. If there be anybody in here uh, far from you, Lord, would you draw them to yourself, God? Use your word even this week to draw them to yourself, God, to uh, learn more about who you are that they might come to a saving knowledge of you and surrendering their uh, heart and mind and their life completely to you. God, that's what we always will pray and we will always want that, that, that we wouldn't be made a big deal of here, but that we would point to you because you are the big deal. And so God, thank you so much uh, for your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today and God bless you as you pursue him.